Good morning. It's certainly good to see each and every one of you. Uh, we are blessed to be here uh, because we are here in worship to our Father in Heaven. And what a joy and what a privilege and honor it is to worship our Father in Heaven. The joy is ours and the honor is certainly His. Uh, Kayla and I are feeling uh, extra blessed, it seems, to be among those who have had a, a close and a deep connection with us and those who hold a special place in our hearts. It is good to be here. Uh, and we, we came here with another person, if you haven't noticed, uh, a little person. And, and it is a joy. Uh, I remember Tim Hester telling, uh, telling me before I became a father that uh, it was going to be a blast. And, and uh, it's a blast and a half, I'll tell you that. It's a, we're enjoying it. Uh, uh, Ken told me it only gets better. And I, uh, and I assume that th that's going to be true. And uh, so we, we, we think about uh, uh, good things uh, coming from... Uh, from small packages, and that's what we're going to talk about here this, this morning. But, but once again, I just want to thank this congregation uh, for the continued support and, and the prayers and words of encouragement. Uh, Texas has certainly been good to us. The brethren have, have been supportive. They've been uh, open-hearted, open-minded. Uh, they've been ready for good things and good works. Uh, most of you know that I, I, I work full-time in one place and, and part-time in another place. And uh, the, the church in Uvalde, I worked part-time there, and the last time I was here, it was, it was in August, uh, I told you that uh, they were looking for a, a preacher, and uh, uh, the good news is they just hired one. Uh, they hired a sound a preacher uh, who goes by the name of Al Washington. Uh, Al is from the northern Austin area, and uh, uh, he has done extensive work for World Video Bible School. And so uh, he has taken on that work. Uh, he's a graduate of the Southwest School of Preaching in Austin. And so we're excited about that. Uh, me and Al are going to, going to continue the Wednesday classes there. Uh, and, and so uh, it's, uh, it's going to be a, a tandem work there. But uh, uh, I will continue working part-time with them as well as uh, coordinating the upcoming VBS that we'll have uh, later on uh, this year. So we're excited about that, especially with this congregation's involvement with that VBS. So we're excited. Uh, in Carrizo Springs, uh, where I preach full-time, uh, we are dedicating this entire year uh, to talking more about Jesus. You can say that the theme is more, more about Jesus. Uh, we want to be a congregation that's more about Jesus, perhaps more than we've ever been. Uh, truth be told, uh, the world has been very good at getting Christians to talk more about the world than they do about Jesus. And so we're getting back to Jesus. And, and so uh, this year, every one of my sermons will come from someplace in the gospel accounts, uh, someplace in the life of Christ. Let's learn more about Jesus. Uh, the idea is not original with me. It, it came from uh, uh, what's called the Life of Christ Challenge. And if most of you might be familiar with the Truth for the World uh, commentary series, uh, well, uh, they have a mission school uh, that issued this challenge, the Life of Christ Challenge. And, and so uh, the idea is just getting into the life of Christ and learning Jesus so much so that you are able to talk about Jesus. You're able to teach Jesus to the community. And a part of this challenge, they also, uh, for, for a fee, they send you commentaries, but they also send you lesson plans. And they send you also a 13-week uh, course, a, a video series designed 
to, uh, to teach and to inspire Christians how to reach out in the community with the life of Christ. And, and, and so as we teach Christ, as we're learning Christ, uh, we'll also reach out into the community to, help, to come and learn Christ with us. Uh, and so uh, we're just getting back to Jesus, you can say that. Uh, and, and so, again, that's from the Truth for, uh, Truth for Today World Mission School, or you can also uh, visit BibleCourses.com uh, for more information on that challenge. The Life of Christ Challenge is what we're doing. Uh, classes are continuing there in Texas, uh, 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 continuing to uh, increase uh, in teachers as well. Kayla has done a fantastic job of encouraging uh, women uh, to teach, and she's done that, and women uh, who haven't t- taught before are teaching. And, and so it's, it's our job uh, not just to make disciples, but to make teachers of those disciples. Uh, and, and so that is, uh, that is something that we will continue to do. We, we thank you once again for your work and, and, and work of support and prayer. Uh, Joshua chapter 7, if you have your Bibles. Uh, if you were in our, our adult Bible class this morning, uh, we talked about uh, small things, uh, making a large and unexpected impact. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is likened to things that you never saw coming. Uh, you never thought that you'd get a tree, a large tree from that mustard seed that you just planted. And, and, and so such is the nature of the, the power and the impact of God's kingdom. Uh, it's composed of small things that you never would have used. As David alluded to this morning, Jesus uh, would come from small beginnings. He would be born in a manger. Or he, he would, his, his position would be that of a carpenter. His dad was a carpenter. Uh, his mission uh, work would be three and a half years. Uh, his disciples would be composed of ordinary individuals, uh, ignorant and unlearned men, as the Bible would say. Uh, the movement that would change the world well, it would be a, a movement uh, of a death, burial, and resurrection, and that's the story that would change the world. But much like the mustard seed, these little beginnings amounted uh, to, the, uh, to a, a, an unbelievable and, and massive change uh, in the worldview. I mean, what does it take to make a great impact for the Lord and his kingdom? Well, friends, we need to go back to the small beginnings. We need to go back to the mustard seed principle, the, the uh, God's things, and, and, and have faith in the mustard seed as it has its growth. So this morning, what we want to do is we want to take that idea and we want to make it practical for the individual Christians. Uh, we want to know specifically five things, five things that we can be doing as individuals this year that will end up with a, a significant Results, a significant impact for the Lord's kingdom. The thoughts this morning are not going to be original. Uh, they're not going to be revolutionary. I am sure that you've heard them. But I do not come before you always with new information. Oftentimes I come before you to stir you up by way of reminder of what we are supposed to be doing as God's people on earth. Five things to do in 2022. Uh, I did not mean to make it catchy like that. It just came out. But you can say sowing the seeds of kingdom greatness if you're looking for a more significant title. Okay, let's get on with it. number one. Here's what we can do. See sin the way that God sees sin. Now, if you're there in Joshua chapter 7, uh, the events that go on in this chapter are about a battle between Israel and a city called Ai. 
Now, if you know anything about battles and about God, uh, especially about God, you should know that God, well, he has all power and all wisdom. Uh, he has the knowledge. And, and therefore, what that means is God is never capable of experiencing defeat. Now, what does that mean for his people? Well, it means that uh, the, the same thing. You think of Moses in Exodus 14 telling Israel, do not fear, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And then he tells them the Lord will fight for you. Well, what does that mean? Well, what it means, the long and short of it is that Israel should never know a day where they experience defeat. The reason for that is, is because God fights your battles and he is, is incapable of experiencing defeat. And so Israel should never know defeat. In fact, they've already defeated Jericho, a much larger and much more fortified city. But their next stop is this small outpost beyond Jericho called Ai. It's, it's, it's much smaller, so much so that when they're deciding how to take that city, they decide, let's not even take all the whole army up there. Let's just take a few thousand people. It'll do for us to take the city. Imagine they're surprised then. Now, when they're, when they, after they've conquered this greater city of Jericho, they come to this smaller post, and, and, and the Bible says they lose to this small post called Ai. And in verse 5, it says that Israel lost 36 men. The rest were put to flight. Now, I imagine this would have been a great defeat for Joshua because what he does next in verse 6 is he tears his clothes, falls to the ground. He prays to the God of heaven. Note his prayer in verse 7. He says, Alas, O Lord God, why did you ever bring this people over the Jordan only to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been willing to dwell beyond the Jordan, O Lord, what can I say? Uh, what can I say since Israel has turned their back before their enemies? For the Canaanites and the inhabitants of the land will hear of it, and they will surround us, cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? Now, verse 10 is God's answer. He says, rise up. Why is it that you have fallen on your face? And here's the answer in verse 11. Israel has sinned. Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. They have even taken some of the things under the ban and have both stolen and deceived. Moreover, they have also put them among their own things. Therefore, the sons of Israel, note this, cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies, for they have become a curse. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy the things under the ban from your midst. Friends, why is it that battles are lost before they're even fought? Why is it that goals can be left unachieved? Why is it that obstacles remain obstacles? Why is it that we can begin a year, that we can begin to hit the ground running, and then we next moment we find ourselves losing to a small outpost called AI? Why is it that these things happen to God's people? Joshua wants to know. Why did Israel experience a defeat when Israel was so resolved to take Ai, so confident to take Israel? And, and God says, Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant. Uh, what covenant is that? Well, that would be in the previous chapter, where just before they took Jericho, God told the Israelites that they were to take nothing from the city. They were to take none of the gold, none of the silver, nothing in the city. Everything belonged to God. But then you keep reading about a man who decided to take something for himself. 
We know that man to be named Achan, and, and he took from something from Jericho that he wasn't supposed to. Now, how seriously is God taking this matter? How seriously does God take this? Well, this one man's actions is a reason that God left Israel in the battle at Ai. Friends, how seriously is God taking sin? Well, he calls sin a transgression. What's a transgression? It's a breaking of the law. Uh, 1 John 3, 4 says sin is lawlessness. Sin is downright criminal. I'm not sure if you've ever considered sin to be a crime, but friends, it is indeed a spiritual crime. It's a crime that has a victim. Well, who's the victim? You know, sometimes some people like to couch their actions in being victimless crimes. Uh, I'm not hurting anybody. I mean, the entertainment industry, is, it's a billion-dollar industry. So what if I illegally download some movies? So what if I illegally download some, you know, the IRS likes to take all my money. So what if I fudge the numbers? It's not like they're going to hurt. It's not like anybody's going to notice. It's not like God is going to notice. Maybe that's what Achan thought. Maybe that's what Achan Nobody's going to get hurt. What is a, a few a garments, really? Who's a, there is no victim here, but friends, when sin is involved, there's always a victim. God is the victim here. God says they've stolen and they lied. They took things from me. There's been a personal attack against me, and they stolen my stuff, and they put them among their own things. Friends, one of the reasons that we have to adjust our attitude about sin is because of how easy it is to take it home with us and put it among our own stuff. I mean, living in a culture that we do, constantly inundated with immorality around us. I get it, friends. It can be easy to tolerate sin. It can be easy to think of sin as no big deal. Sometimes we just get to saying, Joe, that's just the way it is. And sin loses its bother on us. We even, we even become acclimated to sin. We even become entertained by sinful things. And it's evident by the things that we read and the things that we watch on TV, the music that we hear, the company that we keep, the things that we like on Facebook and YouTube. And we become so used to sin that we don't even recognize when we take it home and put it among our own stuff. And the households wake up and entire families wake up in houses full of sin and nobody even knows it. Nobody is even bothered by it, but yet God sees the sin. And friends, when there is sin in a household, when there is sin in the camp, nobody wins. What can we do to have a large impact in God's kingdom? That's what we want. We want to have a large impact in God's kingdom. What can we do? Friends, let's adjust our attitude about sin. And see sin the way that God sees sin. Wherever God has located sin, let's locate that sin too. And, and, and lay it aside away from our stuff. Not put it with our stuff. Lay it aside. Hebrews 12 would say, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Hebrews 12, 1. Resolve to take sin as seriously as God takes sin. You want to be great in God's kingdom, friends, that's what you do. Take sin seriously. See sin the way that God sees sin. Here's number two. Read the Bible. 
Now, before you say check, before you say, oh, I already do that, read the Bible to learn your God. You see, there's really no other reason to be reading your Bible. How can we know what God is thinking? Well, you don't have to guess about it. God's revealed himself. He's revealed his character. He's displayed his heart, which means that you should read your Bible with no other reasons except to know God. And the Bible is filled with information about God. You think of the book of Jonah, though only four chapters, uh, there is much information that takes place in such a, a short amount of time. Uh, Joshua goes uh, and receives a commission by God to, to go preach to Nineveh. He doesn't. He flees to Tarshish instead. He gets in that boat, and, and we all know the story. He's thrown overboard because of the storm, and, the, and God sends that fish and swallows Jonah. He gets spewed back out and, on land, and he, Jonah makes that three-day journey and one day back to Nineveh, and he preaches that eight-word sermon. Uh, 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 in 40 days, Nineveh shall be overthrown. And in the power of, and force of God's message being preached, there is a mass revival, a mass repentance. And what does God do? Well, he accepts the, 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 the repentance of the land. Now, in chapter 4 is Jonah's prayer, and that's where I want to hone in. It's one of the, of the stranger prayers in Scripture, but we get an amazing uh, description of who God is. And Jonah, he praying, praying in anger, know what he says in Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. He says, but it greatly displeased Jonah. He became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and one who relents concerning calamity. Now, where did Jonah get that? Well, I would assume he, he understood scripture. In fact, notice Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34, uh, and keep the, what Jonah just said about God in mind. Uh, Jonah's description of the Lord is identical to the Lord's self-description that we find in Exodus 34. Note how God describes himself to Moses, Exodus 34, beginning in verse 6. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Now, why did Jonah leave to Tarshish? Why did Jonah uh, leave, uh, uh, forsake his, his preaching of Nineveh and go somewhere where God told him not to go? Friends, may I suggest that Jonah is connecting Scripture to God's actions. Because Jonah knew of God's self-description and Jonah knows of God's actions because Scripture is telling him about God. Friends, when you read your Bible, you should be letting Scripture tell you about who God is. Let Scripture tell you about God, but then go to your Old Testament and put it to the test. Find out if God is really those things. See his actions. See God's behaviors among his people. Find out if God is actually that toward his people. And then you think of the book of Hosea. The, in the first few chapters, it's about a man who has a wife that's unfaithful. So unfaithful that she has children outside of marriage. So unfaithful that she becomes a harlot. 
And, and, and God uh, approaches her husband. And what does he tell her husband, Hosea? Not divorce her. He doesn't tell her you need to leave her. What does God tell her? What does God tell Hosea, rather? He tells Hosea, you need to get her back. Now, why on earth is God telling Hosea to get her back? Because that describes God. That describes God and this relationship that he has with his people, that when his people are unfaithful to him, God is still around. God has not forsaken his people. I mean, have you ever seen one of those one-sided relationships, you know, where one person is just more invested than the other person? And it, it seems like one person just keeps getting drugged around and, and, and they're led, they're, 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 you know, it, one person just keeps uh, uh, mentally, verbally, or, or even maybe even physically abusing this other person. And you just wish you could go to that person and say, listen, you just got to leave him already. He's not good for you. You just not need to leave him. Uh, he doesn't uh, treat you right. He doesn't respect you. You just need to find somebody. Well, in the story, in the relationship of God and with humanity, friends, God is the one that's being abused. If you don't believe me, read the book of Judges. Over and over again, you see it. Israel is unfaithful. And what do they do? They cry out back to God, and what does God do? He takes them back. You know, sometimes you just wish you could jump uh, 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 into the page of scriptures and give God advice. You wish you could just tell God, God, why do you keep taking Israel back? God, why do you take Israel back when you know that they're unfaithful? And sure enough, they are unfaithful, and when they find themselves in trouble, they cry out back to God, and what does God do? He takes them back. Within time, they're faithful for a little while, but within time, they're, they're unfaithful again, and they cry out back to God. What does God do? He takes them back over and over and over again. That is the cycle you read in the book of Judges. Tell me what you learn about God. Friends, when you're reading your Bible, you should be reading for the purpose of learning God. I hope you're not reading your Bible because the preacher told you to. Because the elders suggested it. Because your parents will get mad at you if you don't. I hope you're not reading your Bible because of lads to leaders. Because to win some Bible bowl. I hope that's not why you're reading. I hope you're not reading it to fulfill your Bible reading plan. Friends, I hope when you pick up your Bible to read it, I hope you are reading it to discover who your Father in Heaven is. Think about God. Think about his actions toward man. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Find a quiet place and, and, and contemplate of, and, and, and all the implications of what that entails. Think about God taking on flesh. Think about God having to give up his blood. Think about God and why he did it all. But friends, when you read your Bible for the purpose of learning God, it ought to change your life. God is not simply another philosophy. Read your Bible for relationship. You know, the relationship that you have with your Father in heaven, and you'll be like Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 when he sees God on his throne high and lifted up, and he says, Woe is me, I am undone, for my eyes have seen the King. 
Your eyes should see the king every time you read scripture, friends. Here's the third point. What can we do for kingdom greatness? Pray more sacrificially. Pray sacrificially. You know, among the things that would set our Lord Jesus apart from others uh, before him would, would be his prayer life. In fact, the apostles noticed. They would, have, they, would have been, uh, they would have heard all the prayers from the rabbis and they'd see Jesus praying. There's something different about his prayer. There's something different about Jesus. And they'll tell Jesus, you teach us how to pray. We need to be praying more sacrificially. That's what Jesus did. In fact, there are two things to sacrifice in prayers. Here, here's number one. Number one is time. Sacrifice time in prayer. Now, I trust that you do spend time in prayer. I trust that you do say your, your morning and, 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 and midday and even your evening prayers. I trust that you do that. But maybe you're like me. Maybe you realize that much of your prayer life is simply quick talk. Quick talk in the morning. Quick talk before your meal. Quick talk before your bedtime. But friends, may we use the rest of our year and stop giving God our scraps of leftover time and genuinely sacrifice time for God in prayer. It's what you see Jesus do, but I'm too busy. I'm too busy to sacrifice time. I guarantee you, you're not busier than Jesus was. And yet you see Jesus would sacrifice time, even sleep, for prayer. Friends, can we do that? Can we sacrifice time for prayer? But here's the second thing to sacrifice in prayer. You. Sacrifice you in prayer. You see, I mean, oftentimes when we pray, I, I'm afraid that oftentimes that the subject of our prayers is dominantly us. You know, how can we make a self-sacrifice and, and make more prayers less about us? Well, make them more about God. Start with a prayer, pray, praising God. Can you just praise God? Not ask for anything. Can you just spend 20, 30 minutes just praising God for the things that he's done? And can you praise God for, for, for the things that he's done in the Old Testament, the New Testament? The, the psalmist will give us words of praise. Psalm 135 says, praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise him, O you servants of the Lord. Praising God is a natural product of knowing God. Praise Him, but then can you thank Him? Thank Him for, for the blessings that He... But, but can you also, uh, when you're thanking God for your blessings, can you also emphasize the spiritual blessings? Can you emphasize... Sometimes when I, when I, when I get to talking to people, they'll, they'll say, well, life is, life is good, life is blessed. And I'll ask them, uh, how is life blessed? And they'll say, well... Uh, I got my health, I got my clothing on my back, I got my house. Friends, those are blessings, but that is not why you are blessed. You see, the true blessed life is spiritual. We are blessed because we have life in Christ Jesus. And, and so can you please, can we please emphasize the spiritual blessings over the physical blessings that when we're thanking God, we thank him because we have our sins forgiven, because we have life with him in heaven. Can we emphasize those things? And, and, and friends, when we're done thanking God and praising God, can we then shift our attention to other people? Can, can we talk and pray to God and petition God for other people? Moses did it. 
Moses petitioned God for other people. Joshua fought, fell down on his face before the people. Jesus would do that. Paul would do that. Pray for other people. Who should I be praying for? You've got a bulletin. There's some names on there. There's some sick people on there. But then can you pray for the elders? Can you pray for the leaders of the church? Can you pray for those who have left the church? Can you pray for, for those who are in mission fields and other places? What about family? Can we pray for family? When's the last time a husband fell down on his knees and prayed for the well-being of his family? I mean, how many husbands are fall down prostrate before the God of heaven and are praying for their wives? God, bless her in her walk. God, increase her faith. Why not pray for our spouse? Why not pray for our parents and for our children? Why not do that together? Why not turn off the TV? Oh, I got homework today. Too bad we're praying. Why not? What kind of impact would that make? What would that tell my children about prayer? If I were to sacrifice time, and tonight we're going to pray. Make your prayers about other people. Make it about God and about the brethren, but then petition God for yourself. But before you ask God about that thing, before you ask God to invest in you, can you ask God for the things that help you invest in him? Can you ask God for the things that, that would, would, would help you carry out his religion better? Can you ask God for strength of faith and, and wisdom and understanding of his word? Can you ask God for the things that will help you glorify him better than you ever have? And when you've done all that, can you then pray for that thing that you want, but then qualify it the way Jesus did? Not my will, but your will be done. You see, friends, you need to be communicating to God the message. And it doesn't matter whether you give me that thing or not. I serve you for nothing. I serve you for nothing. Let's make more sacrifices in our prayer. Let's sacrifice time. And let's sacrifice self in our prayer. And what an impact that would make for our spiritual selves. Here's number four. Make the church a priority. You know, the, the, the Bible is just filled with fascinating uh, uh, things and wonderful stories and words of wisdom and encouragement, unbelievable promises made. But have we really just sat down and appreciated what the Bible is saying about the church? Appreciate what the church is. It is not a building. We understand that. It is a manifold wisdom of God, Ephesians 3.11. It is a, the eternal purpose of God, Ephesians 3.10. That is, it's the reason why God created everything the way that he did. Again, but it's easy to just let that pass over your head. Uh, spend some time meditating on that. Spend some time alone. Study it and dissect it. What does it mean that the church is the eternal purpose of God? Well, it means that before you open your Bible, there, God already has that in mind to build his church. Friends, you need to be thinking about that. You need to be thinking about his church. The church is what Christ left heaven to build, Matthew 16, 18. 
It's the reason why, why Christ would shed his blood so he can purchase it, Acts 20, 28. It's the one place where God is glorified throughout all the ages, Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. It's the one place where, that's called the body of Christ, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, and that claims the mind of Christ. It's the only institution on earth that God is going to save, Ephesians 5, 23. But friends, if God is planning it in eternity, if he's preparing for it, if he prophesied about it, if he, if he prepared it, and if he purchased it, not with corruptible things, but with the precious blood of Christ, if God is prioritizing the church, pray tell, why aren't we? Why not prioritize membership in the Lord's church? Why does everything else get the attention? Why do the social programs get all the attention? Why does fitting in in the world get the attention? Why does school get the attention? Why do all the social clubs get all the attention? Why not prioritize becoming a member of the Lord's body? But then why not prioritize the worship of the church? Why not prioritize Wednesday service? Why not prioritize Monday morning and Sunday, rather Sunday morning and the Bible class? Why not prioritize those things? Why not prioritize the work of the church? Why do we labor and toil for just about everything else but the church? Why not put our hands to the plow and work for the Lord's kingdom? Friends, God prioritized the church so much so that he sacrificed his son for it. Why don't we do the same? If you want to be great in God's kingdom, how do we be great in God's kingdom? Well, friends, we make the church a priority. But here's our last point this morning. Talk more about Jesus. You know, you think back. Think back to 2021. And ask yourself honestly here this morning, who did I talk about in 2021? What was the dominant subject coming out of my mouth in 2021? Was it a president? Was it the government? Was it politics? Was it a disease? Examine yourself and then compare that to what the book of Acts is talking about. You know, the book of Acts is about 12 men who changed the world. What did they talk about? You open up the book of Acts and Peter will begin on the, the sermon on the, 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 the day of Pentecost in Acts 2.22. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. And then he says it, Jesus of Nazareth. In Acts chapter 3, they heal that lame man, that beggar. And, 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 and Peter addresses the crowd in verse 12. says, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you look intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we made this man whole? But the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus. In Acts chapter 4, they're arrested, and, and the, the Pharisees want to know, about what name have you done this? And Peter says, let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel by, by, by the name of Jesus, 
they talking about? Jesus. Acts chapter 5, 6, 7, they're talking about Jesus. Just keep reading throughout the whole book. Acts chapter 17, these are they who have turned the world upside down. Well, what is it they were doing to turn the world upside down? Paul was preaching Jesus. Just keep reading throughout the book. What is your New Testament about? What are the gospel accounts about? They're about the life of Jesus. What is the book of Acts about? It's about how to take that belief and put it into action what, what is the, the letter of Romans through Jew? Well, they're individual letters written to individuals and, and, and congregations about how to practice the religion of Jesus. What is the book of Revelation about? It's about victory in Jesus. What's your New Testament about Jesus? Friends, what are we to be about? Jesus. What does God want us talking about Jesus. And friends, sometimes we ask ourselves, why isn't the church growing? Why is it that we can't have the impact that we do? How is it that we can get to this nation? You mean to tell me nobody's interested in Jesus anymore? That might be a 21st century thing, but that's not a 1st century thing because all they ever talked about was Jesus. And friends, that changed everything. It's so often the case, sadly, that the people who know the most about Jesus do not talk about Jesus. They'll talk about everything but Jesus. They'll talk about all the social programs and all the church marketing, but not Jesus. Paul said it best in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 and 2, And I, brethren, when I, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. Brethren, may we talk more about God and about Jesus this year than we ever have in our lifetime. We always think about how we can impact this world. How this world, this nation is going to get right. How it's going to start behaving itself. You don't start with the behavior. Friends, you start with Jesus. You start with belief in Jesus as the Son of God. May we get back to the small beginnings, friends. We resolve to do these five things, and what a year this will be. What a tremendous impact this will make for us as individuals and for the Lord's kingdom Let's change our attitude about sin. Friends, if you and I aren't careful, we can be careless about sin. And if you and I aren't careful, we won't even be able to blush about sin anymore. If you and I aren't careful, uh, sin will be at home with all around us, among our families. And we'll bring it home with us and we'll set it among our things. If we're not careful, we won't even notice that it's there. You know, one good thing that came about because of the virus, one good thing that came about in my thinking is I realized that we take physical disease far more seriously than we do the spiritual disease of sin. You know, we, we, we quarantined and, and, and we, we did the vaccines, we did the, the, the masks and we did the social distancing and, and, and we did all that. We checked, we checked the disease at the door. But why, oh, why does sin get a pass? Let's take sin more seriously.
the season the way that God does. Blessed are they that mourn, the Bible says. Let's change our attitude about sin. But then let's read the Bible to learn our Father in heaven. Let's read the Bible to learn God. Isaiah says he'll teach us of his ways. Let's learn to put the sacrifice back in prayer. Sacrifice time, but then sacrifice ourselves. Let's make his cause, his church, our number one priority. Let's move him up, put him into the number one position. But then let's talk more about Jesus. Let's get back to the people who know more about Jesus and talk more about Jesus to our friends and to our family. I mean, wouldn't you love to be in a place where all they did was talk about Jesus? Wouldn't you love to be the one always bringing up Jesus? Let's talk more about Jesus. Jesus is all the world to me, friends. He should, he should be, uh, that should be the case to every person here. Jesus is all the world to us. And wouldn't you love to tell the world about why that is the case? May we be resolved to do these things. And friends, what a wonderful year we'll have. What a tremendous impact that will make for us as individuals and as the Lord's kingdom, this congregation that meets here at Midway. This morning, if you're not a Christian, you need to be, friends. You need to be converted to Jesus. You do not need to be converted to us, to our beliefs. You do not need to be converted to man. You need to be converted to Jesus. Be his disciple. Uh, you need to be uh, in his body. Uh, Ephesians 5.23 says that uh, he is the savior of the body. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, that the, the church is the body. Ephesians 4, 4, there's only one that you need to be in. Once you be in his body here this morning, believe Jesus Christ to be the Son of God. Repent of your sins, confess his name, be immersed in him, buried with him through baptism into death, to rise up and walk in newness of life. Do that here this morning. Let Christ save you uh, by his blood. And won't you do that here and come forward this morning? If you are a Christian... What kind of impact are you having for the Lord's church? Uh, may we live in such a way that it's evident that we are people who know Jesus and people who believe Jesus and our Father in heaven. And, and may that be clearly seen in our actions and in our words. If you're subject to the Lord's invitation, friends, if we can help you move closer to the God of heaven, we ask that you please make it known. Let's stand and let's sing the song of invitation. <clears throat>